0: On this week's Texas Tribune Tribcast, we'll talk about Beto O'Rourke's visit with Oprah, the latest on the lawsuits filed over Texas's voter citizenship review, and the news out of the state of the state and the state of the union. But before we do, I'd like to thank today's Tribcast sponsors. Harmony Public Schools, Texas's largest STEM-focused free charter school system is accepting applications now at campuses statewide. Visit HarmonyTX.org to see why the TEA awarded Harmony 6A ratings for 2018. And Texas State Technical College. Texas State Technical College is the solution to the skills gap in Texas. Find out more at tstc.edu. Hello, this is Emily Ramshaw here on Wednesday, February 6th with the Texas Tribune TripCast, our weekly Texas politics and policy podcast. I'm joined this week uh, by engagement reporter Cassie Pollack. Hello. Hello. Hi, Cassie. My Democrat, (laughs) that was a quiet, very (laughs) genteel hello. I didn't want to
1: have a booming hello, but hello. Well, wait, we'll save that for Patrick. (laughs)
0: Demographics (laughs) reporter, Alexa Ura. Hello. Hello, and political reporter, Patrick Svitek. Good afternoon. Just back from his uh, trip to visit with Oprah Winfrey and Beto O'Rourke. And Uh, Bradley Cooper. And Bradley Cooper, oh yeah. my God, the most important. <laughs> it's just
2: the four of us. <laughs> it's a special meeting.
0: Uh, as always, folks, we take your questions in real time on Twitter and Facebook. You can do it using the hashtag TribCast. Uh, okay, Patrick, I promised Alexa I would do this. Did you win a car <laughs> on I Oprah? Not. Yes. nothing
2: under the seat. Uh,
0: okay, since <laughs> Let a car. I, you are probably, well, the real unfairness in all of this is that there are probably uh, 69 people on our staff who would have liked, loved, <laughs> dreamed of going on Oprah. And the 70th person on staff actually got to go on Oprah. And that is you. I don't think you
2: guys know about my my secret Oprah fan. No, no. Just
0: I could have been writing privately, stories uh, your blog yesterday. dedicated to yeah. Oprah. <laughs> so okay, tell us all about it. Tell us. So you got there and were you in a studio audience or how did it work?
2: No, it was it was in a theater. It was a taping of a interview series special that she was doing for her TV network own. Um, and it was hosted, uh, it was taped inside the PlayStation Theater in Times Square. Pretty medium-sized theater, not you know, where they have concerts and other kind of tv tapings um but yeah he was the work was the fourth of five interviews that she was taping there that day um the uh other people are being interviewed were uh, michael b jordan um lisa borders uh bradley cooper as you mentioned alexa then, uh, actually <laughs> mentioned that that wasn't <laughs> me Gates. how
3: close were um, you sitting to bradley cooper? i was way in the back i was <laughs> way in the
2: back A- anyways but this was you know kind of uh, uh, Work wasn't the main attraction and in fact based on kind of the crowd reaction there definitely were people there who knew who he was but I, I got the feeling that some of those other names may have been a bigger draw mm-hmm. um, you, you know think. just a, yeah. another reminder that like the world doesn't revolve around Texas politics and our <laughs> perception of maybe just, like, Bradley <laughs> Cooper
0: should run for president <laughs> yeah, exactly. don't tell him
3: um, uh, but
2: the O'Rourke interview ended up being the longest of the interviews that she had and, I th- and she seemed very uh, aware of how much uh, hype and anticipation there was <laughs> surrounding it uh, she made reference a lot of times to, you know, how many you know, people are talking about this interview. You know, this is like so highly anticipated. <laughs> then, hashtag Everyone's hashtag talking explained. about it. Thousands <laughs> of people waiting outside. Right. Uh, but uh, she seemed very well aware of kind of the, you know, just the, the uh, anticipation. And she asked him about 2020 a lot. Um, you know, there was some, you know, the first 10 minutes were, you know, some reflections on the Senate campaign. But after that, she wasted a little time starting to ask him about, you know, was it yes or no? Uh, you know, what are the big factors? What's your timeline? And, and that's that in that, in response to that, that last question, there is where the news came, which she was peppering him with these questions and said, you know, well, have you at least given yourself a deadline? And he said, uh, you know, the answer is, is really soon before the end of this month. And that was news because he just has not given himself, not put up any kind of timetable like that before. Um, so by this, the end of
0: the month, by, I mean within right. three weeks, basically, we're gonna know whether or yeah, not. Yeah, someone
2: pointed out he chose the shortest month. Uh, yeah, I know, years.
0: only 28 days in February. <laughs> yeah, are are those
2: gonna, deadlines to drag this out? <laughs> February is a bad month,
3: right? <laughs> so, are those self-imposed deadlines? Do they ever result in the person saying, "I'm not running no, for president"? They I mean, never. I think at this point, all of them have said, "I'm well, running."
2: Yes, well,
0: <laughs> this my, is the my podcast perception where whether he's going to run has
2: definitely shifted, but I, I will point out shifted that...
0: Shifted since two weeks ago. <laughs> I would like to just say, for the record, two weeks ago, Patrick, like, scolded me on the podcast for jumping the gun on yeah. Beto O'Rourke. He was pretty adamant <laughs> that it wasn't happening. I, okay, well, I think Alexa was here. Yeah, I
2: was. i changing my position. But I, I just want just to put something out. There was a recent example of this where someone gave themselves a deadline in Texas politics, and they decided not to run, and that was Joaquin Castro, when he was deciding whether to join mm-hmm. Beto or work in the U.S. Senate race. He gave himself a deadline of the end of, I think it was like, it was some month in the spring of 2017, and he decided against it. Uh, so it does happen. Right. It has,
0: so, right. so it has All happened one time. You reached back into 2017 All there. the way back to 2017. <laughs> so what, I mean, when she asked him about his sort of thoughts about running for president, he had a couple of quotes though, that I thought were like pretty telling that made me think he was going to run. Yeah, like, the one other quote I'm that thinking. stood
2: out to me was he said he was, quote, excited about the prospect of being able to play that role, which that role referring to. Presidential <laughs> candidate, and so it seemed like something that he has come around to um, in terms of envisioning himself running for president. Um, you he know, also said
0: it was going to be basically the the thing that would make him decide not to. My sense was was his family. You know, yeah, he said absolutely. This decision I mean, was, like really made, up to my he family. He made clear
2: that the family is still the biggest factor for him, and that matches up with what we've reported and others have reported throughout this process that he continues to think about how this would impact his wife and three kids. Um, especially after a Senate race where he was on the road nonstop for, for close to two years or a year and a half.
0: But which wife and kids ever say, Dad, don't run for president? Right. You're like once-in-a-lifetime shot, you know. I, I just, I don't, sure. to me, if that's his, if if that is what he said could be the deciding factor in not running, he's totally running. Well, and didn't he at one point say that one of his sons was
3: even, like, ready to get him out of the yeah, house? Yeah, he joked, you know, <laughs> you know, one of his yeah. sons,
2: Ulysses, is, uh, you know, like, already sick of having him home, basically, and ready to have him out of the house. Um, so, but yeah, he didn't seem to, you know, he didn't seem to offer any kind of reservations that, um, you know, he in, internally had, you know what I'm saying? It was, it was more about ex- external factors, like mm-hmm. his family. It, it seems like personally he, he's, you know, at peace with running for president. <laughs> I mean, you know, he didn't talk about, you know, he's these out of the reservations. Funk? Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it was, you know, uh, it was definitely interesting to see him open up in that way, because when he's talked about the potential run before he has sounded, as, as we pointed out uh, recently on, the, on this podcast, as, sounded as we much more <laughs> <pointed out. laughs> much more ambivalent. It was a consensus. I'm pretty sure.
3: I mean, so this whole like drive to clear his head was not actually to clear his head is what I think came through from no, the city. I am going
0: back to my Hillary Clinton <laughs> listening tour. Uh, right. Yeah. So what did he talk about beyond the presidency? I mean, well, he, he said talked about on He reflected interviews. on
2: the Senate campaign. He talked about kind of the trajectory after the race and feeling a lot of disappointment, and and then going on that that road trip that we just mentioned, and that kind of pulling him out of this funk, at least in in his telling. Um, she asked him about a few a few issues at the end, and this this isn't getting a, a lot of play, but I thought it was interesting. She she actually asked him some pretty you know pointed questions on providing some details on immigration policy. Hmm. And oh, right. One He's been sort of called out. Right. I
0: think the Washington post or the New York times, exactly, ran which,
2: you know, kind of called to mind that Washington post interview yeah. where he basically said, I don't know in response to, you know, a number of specific questions on immigration. Mm-hmm. And he continued to keep things pretty general in response to that question uh, with Oprah. Um, you know, he just said, you know, we need to have immigration policy that reflects our, our value, you know, American values and, and, and needs and principles. And, you know, talked about what he said before about, you know, he wants to make every dreamer a, a U.S. citizen today. Um, but in terms of offering any new detail or trying to satisfy the people who may have been um, worried about his responses in that Washington Post interview, I don't think he did much. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't get a lot of attention, obviously, because all the news is about 2020. But she did ask him some interesting questions at the end that were pretty pointed about that. Mm-hmm.
0: Did she uh, make any suggestions about whether Oprah herself would uh, ever run for president? Right. Did he flip well, the question around? He, he, he on tried. Her? To, he
2: flipped the question on her at one point, but she she wasn't having it. She was like, <laughs> she just completely steered the conversation back <laughs> right to, back. back to him. So
0: interesting. Um, so like, who was in the audience? I mean, if it was, is, it was not the same audience as the audience for like Bradley Cooper or anything, right?
2: Yeah, it was mainly the same audience throughout. People came and went. Um, but you know, there were definitely some people who were clearly there to see him exclusively. They were wearing, you know, Beto O'Rourke shirts, and you know, they were cheering very loudly when he was, uh, you know, when he was uh, being interviewed and, and whatnot. And so. Um, I think he was a big draw, but like I said earlier, I mean, <laughs> we forget it's not the center of the universe. You know, there were people there clearly to see, you know, more interested in Bradley Cooper or maybe yes. uh, Michael B. Jordan, the other actor.
0: Well, if I were had to choose between going to see Beto O'Rourke and Bradley Cooper, I would absolutely choose Bradley Cooper. No <laughs> contest. You know, if other people who work with us were sitting here, they probably would have answered it the other way around. <laughs> yes, well, I'm not every other person. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, switch gears. Um, Alexa, you have a lot of um, fans on our social media feed yeah. right now. Uh, they're writing, "Alexa Ura, my queen and oh our heroine." God. Alexa Ura. So apparently, you have a big and growing uh, fan base. So thanks for being here. You're a real you're a, a Bradley Cooper level draught. To- oh <laughs> wow! Yeah, I mean, <laughs> better than Beto. Indeed. Uh, all right, so I want to wade into the latest on the state's review of the citizenship of some 95,000 people on the Texas voter roll. Um, they they were trying to determine basically whether these folks have either registered or voted, illegal, voted illegally. We know now from your reporting that this has fallen apart to what degree? Exactly how far has this fallen apart?
3: I mean, I think at this point, tens of thousands of names off of the original list the state put out um, have fallen off this list, either because the Secretary of State's office mistakenly included them or because local officials have been able to confirm that there are people who registered at like naturalization ceremonies and therefore are within their rights to register to vote and vote in Texas elections. Um, I think that obviously we have three lawsuits at this point against this. Uh, but I think that the most interesting part is that this entire exercise, which was meant to, you know, list maintenance or to verify people on the rolls, has instead resulted in local election officials basically holding off for the most part on doing anything because, one, they're worried about being sued, and two, they're worried about whether this process will end up jeopardizing naturalized citizens who are on the list because it you know if you get this notice of examination saying you have to prove your citizenship if you don't respond within 30 days you get knocked off the rolls but it's also if like if you haven't updated your address and they get back an undeliverable notice from the postal service about that you're knocked off too and so Mm -hmm. I think local officials are treading very very carefully and if this was a whole effort to you know clean up the voter rolls no most people are not doing anything
0: at this point so so most of the counties just to confirm so the counties that you're talking to are, is it fair to say that most counties are basically saying to the state you've you know you've kind of you've asked us to do this review and we're just not doing it
3: yeah so we've talked mostly to folks in the top 30 counties with the most registered voters who have a bulk of the names on this list um who have said you know yes you gave us this guidance this guidance also says that we're not required to do this oh I it think, never required them to, right do yeah okay. it said that they could look into this further or not do anything mm-hmm. um obviously in some of these counties where that are controlled by republicans you know i've heard from folks who are saying you know there is some pressure to review these lists Mm -hmm. like we can't just ignore them completely um but i think for the most part people are now saying we're going to hold off on this um and some
0: of those messages as i've been told have gotten back to the secretary of state's office so like even with tens of thousands of names knocked off of this list original list of ninety five thousand. You know, that's not obviously the whole list. At the end of the day, will there be, would there have been evidence that some Texans, some people voted illegally?
3: I mean, I think that's what we have asked for updates. Originally, the Secretary of State's office had said 58,000 of the people on the original list had some form of voting history. It's unclear how many of those folks were mistakenly included as part of that first batch that have been removed from the rolls. We have not gotten any answers whatsoever. The other question is whether if people were cleared from this, whether that information will be sent to the attorney general's office who already has this list as well and can prosecute people. So there are a lot of questions. Um, David Whitley, the secretary of state is up for a confirmation hearing on Thursday. So I think it's possible we
0: might get some of those answers tomorrow. Let's talk about that in particular, some questions coming in on social media. Um, Do you think David Whitley's nomination as secretary of state is imperiled by the quote, election fraud debacle, Kerry asks. And just give us a little backstory on him before. Before we talk about him, the fact that he's up for nomination.
3: Yeah, so Whitley is a longtime aide of Governor Greg Abbott. He worked with him when he was in the Texas Attorney General's office. Um, he followed him to the Governor's office. He oversaw appointments, actually, ironically, um, for him for quite some time before he was elevated to Deputy Chief of Staff. That's the last position he held before he was tapped to be Secretary of State. Um, at this point, his... But because he was appointed during the interim before the session was... Before lawmakers were in session, he was sort of he sort of floated by as an interim appointment, and now he's up for confirmation by the Senate. Hmm. So it'll start with the nominations committee, which is meeting on Thursday, and he's among I think it's five others who are on the list of people that they'll consider that day. Um, First, we have to see if his appointment gets out of committee. Um, And then once it gets to the floor, he'll need a two-thirds vote of everyone who's present on the floor, which means that the Republicans, even if they all supported him, don't have enough votes to confirm him if everyone's on the
0: floor the day of that vote. So do you think it's likely or even possible, feasible, that he does not get confirmed in light of this? I mean, obviously the Democrats are very pissed about how this has all gone down. Yeah,
3: I mean, I think the Democrats have some power in this. I will say Senate Democrats have been much more measured in their response compared to House Democrats who have been really loudly critical of all of these actions. So I think we'll have to, you know, it'll definitely give Democrats some power in this vote. I think the other question, does this even get to the floor for a vote? You know, is this a sort of conversation where they say the votes aren't there, you, you have to pull him. Um, obviously, all of that is speculation at this point. Um, and, you know, Senate Democrats have sort of, I think there's, have a track record of aligning with Republicans on issues that House Democrats probably would never align That's with them. That's to, so, to be clear,
2: this is two-thirds of the Senate on the Senate floor. Correct, yeah, so yeah. 19 Republicans right now don't have enough.
0: Right. You just want a Republican. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, has Abbott – is there evidence that – I mean, Whitley was not like a rogue operator, I'm imagining, in all of this. It seems like this – the missive or the message to do this must have come down from on high. I mean, do we have a sense from – has Abbott's office weighed in on this more recently than last week where they sort of brushed it off?
3: Yeah, I mean, I have not gotten any indication of what the governor may or may not be feeling at this point beyond what we heard from him last week where he basically – you know, look to recast this, Uh, you know, when this was first announced, he said, you know, thank you for discovering this illegal vote registration. He promised a legislative fix. Now he's saying, you know, this is a work in progress. So it's unclear sort of if he is holding firm in his support of this beyond what he has said publicly, which indicates yes. Um, You know, I think the secretary of state's office obviously is a government appointed person. Um, In the past, they have Somewhat closely aligned with the governor's views. I think the the one difference there was Carlos Gascos, who was sec- two secretary of states ago, um, who basically said, you know, he could not really tow the party line when it came to these claims of rampant voter fraud that have never been really supported with data. And he'd been appointed by Rick Perry. He was appointed by Greg Abbott, actually. Oh, Abbott. Really yeah, he was Abbott's first, Abbott's first secretary, of and State. he wouldn't
0: tow that party line. Right. Interesting. And huh. so,
3: you know, he he hasn't indicated that that's why he left the mm-hmm. office after two years, which is sort of the you know, the typical timeline for a Mm -hmm. secretary of state. But I think it's safe to say that typically the person in that position is, you know, probably pretty in line with the governor, at least on big issues. They've all been Republicans. Given
0: given Whitley's background with Abbott, it seems like highly likely that, you know, he was perfectly aligned. Sure. um, We'll talk about the lawsuits that have been filed around this. I know there are multiple and I'm curious if there have been any like immediate injunctions or anything like that. Yeah, so we actually
3: have the first hearing coming up on January 19th in the first lawsuit, which was filed on behalf of LULAC. Um, uh, Atascosa County resident has since joined that lawsuit because she confirmed that she was on this list of voters. Um, And so she has joined that. She's trying to represent all of the legitimate voters on the list as a plaintiff class. I don't think the judge has ruled on that motion yet. Um, So that's the first one that we'll we'll be sort of considering. Um, It's a preliminary injunction request. So we'll see if the state will be blocked from doing any of this. More importantly, if their advisory to counties to check this list will be rescinded or not. Um, that, I think, is sort of the big question at this point. But there are two other lawsuits. Um, Basically, all of them allege this is a constitutional violation, um, this violates the Voting Rights Act, this affects people of color, it treats naturalized citizens differently than those who were born here in the country. So there are still a lot of questions about this. Um, a lot of this litigation will probably go on for months, mm-hmm. um, but I think that the first thing will be whether there's a preliminary injunction on
0: this. Right. Well, it'll be interesting to watch uh, with Whitley this week. Thank you for your reporting on this, Alexa. Uh, before our next topic, I'd like to quickly thank two more Tribcast sponsors, Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas. It's time for a moonshot to fix rural healthcare in Texas. Read more on tribtalk.org and South by Southwest EDU. Join us at South by Southwest EDU 2019 for hundreds of innovative sessions and opportunities to connect with education visionaries. Visit southbysouthwest.edu for more. All right, Cassie, let's talk about Abbott's State of the State. Um what he did say, and maybe more importantly, what he didn't
1: say. Fill us in. Well, I guess to Alexa's point, you know, I think a lot of people thought that Abbott had an opportunity yesterday during his State of the State Address to uh, maybe uh, just kind of mention or at least kind of update us on where he's at with the whole voter Mm registry, voter citizenship check. Um, he did not mention that. Um, and then also uh, notably absent, uh, from his speech was some of the more red meat social issues that were definitely present and headlined his uh, speech in 2017 Mm -hmm. when the legislature last met. Uh, but he did lay out his six emergency items that he wants, uh, you know, Texas lawmakers to pass. And let's see if you guys can remember this. <laughs> I give up. I have a list that I'm uh, oh, good. going to be. It was going to be uh, like a quiz game. <laughs> right. So go, oh, Patrick. Okay. All right, let, let's hear it.
2: Let's, oh, actually, I don't know. Come uh, on, no. try. Now you have school, to try. School finance. One. I wasn't even here. School finance. Oh. Teacher oh. pay.
1: Okay. <laughs> wow. Says the guy who was wow. sitting Last with Oprah. That's your turn. All right.
2: School finance. Yes, do it one
1: in order that he mentioned. <laughs>
2: okay, I can maybe do that, actually.
1: All right, number one, go.
2: School finance. Number two. Teacher pay.
1: It. But what specifically with teacher pay?
2: Teacher pay raise. Okay. Increasing teacher pay. Wow. Great Tough crowd. Very
1: <laughs> She's calling you three.
2: Three would be uh, school safety.
0: Mm-hmm. Four. Mental,
2: then mental health. Although those two were kind of interlinked in his, his speech.
0: Okay. Um, Five.
2: Then we had uh, disaster response. I don't know if that's the right oh, order. Cassie's no, okay, shaking wait, her property head. taxes. Then
0: five is property taxes, and what's specifically about property taxes to play
1: Cassie's game? Rollback rates. Property tax. I guess he's oh, calling reform. it reform, oh, right? Yes. Oh my god. D- yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and, and then six.
2: Disa- six is disaster response, yes. right?
1: All right. Good job, Patrick.
2: I could say the other issues mentioned in the speech too. You want me to give you?
1: No, thanks. <laughs> okay. Let's back to Cassie. It's yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so those are basically the issues that. Um, Lawmakers can start immediately working on, in fact, a Senate committee hearing, as I believe, as we're we're talking, meeting right now to consider uh, Senate Bill 2, which is the property tax proposal that's kind of been uh, championed and endorsed by Abbott, along with Dan Patrick and Dennis Bonin. Um, You know, beyond that, uh, I guess on school finance reform, um, and, and teacher pay, Abbott seemed to kind of nod toward the merit, ba- the merit pay based system, which is um, you know something that I think Dallas ISD has has adopted um, and is currently um, experimenting with right now. Um, and then beyond that, you know he on school safety, he did not make any mention of any sort of like gun control measures, rather so uh, you know just trying to nod towards mental health care um, and mental health reforms. Um, And then beyond the emergency items, which I I think Patrick said that he could uh, tick off, uh, we had uh, uh, Abbott wants two new anti-gang centers, uh, one in Waco and one in Tyler. Uh, He wants additional funding to curb human trafficking, additional funding to eliminate the backlog of thousands of untested rape kits. Hmm. Um, So a pretty straightforward speech from Abbott. I don't think that there was anything particularly new. Oh, wait.
0: What did we learn about UT and Texas A&M and football? (laughs)
1: So he basically is down to revive the annual football game and he's even, uh, he said during his speech today, willing to to work with Lyle Larson, a San Antonio Republican, who he's clashed with in the past, um, to make that happen.
3: A line that received a louder applause line
0: than, than like fighting fixing human mental health or
1: fighting yeah. human trafficking. Yeah, I mean
0: people were excited about it. For the record, more of human it also got its own headline on our website. <laughs> yeah, so uh, there was a lot of enthusiasm. <laughs> just, just by, by Matthew Watkins. You know, yes. Yeah, let's, let's call out our breaking news editor Matthew Watkins who made that important critical call for our coverage. Right. It
1: was yep. just I think it was Abbott you know more or less trying to carry on the sense of camaraderie the kumbaya moment that has seemed to kind. Kind of define this legislature so far. Um, yeah. yeah, I
0: mean, I was at a Texas Lyceum event last week uh, where uh, Dan Patrick spoke. And the whole theme of his, you know, remarks was, you know, look at how well we're doing with this sort of Kumbaya moment. Look how well we're all getting along. Look, you know, have you ever seen the big three, you know, playing this well together in in recent history? And so it's from, you know, from the governor's office all the way on down, it seems like that's the message and they're trying to avoid anything that might get in the way it looks of that. It's
3: like the most you've seen anyone talk about Joe Strauss without mentioning his name. I mean, yes, it's just right. been remarkable how many nods there have been to that basically since November
0: 7th. Yeah. That said, I did, of course, try to chase Dan Patrick down afterward to ask him about the voter fraud stuff and he I was told he would not be answering any questions. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, All right. Well, thank you, Cassie. Uh, We talked about the state of the state. Uh, In our last few minutes here, let's talk about the state of the union. Um, It seemed like in this endless, seemingly endless address, the first half of it, it seemed like Trump was really trying to sort of play to both sides of the aisle. Uh, And then the gloves came off, it seemed like around the wall and immigration issues in particular. What did he say?
2: Yeah, I mean, I thought it was was kind of, uh, there was a dissonance I think between some of these sections where as you pointed out he was calling for bipartisanship and talking about some issues that have some legitimate bipartisan uh, unity around them and then you saw him uh, in other parts of the speech uh, go into territory that is is clearly politically divisive um, and and inflammatory. I mean you mentioned immigration and and border security and his push for a border wall. Uh, He didn't you know back down from that at all and continued to use the incendiary kind of uh, an inflammatory rhetoric surrounding You know this idea of this exaggerated idea of a a crisis on the border.
0: Mm -hmm. He really honed in on El Paso. I mean, right? He loves loves El Paso. Talk about about, uh, his messaging a little bit. You were talking about that inflammatory language. Talk about right. Well, he's you know he and his
2: administration have held up El Paso Mm -hmm. as an example of a place where you know after a wall was built or a border barrier was built that crime plummeted and it became this, you know, safe utopia <laughs> and, you know, and uh, the El Paso times and a lot of local media outlets have done a good job of basically debunking that claim that the, you know, that the wall, um, you know, did not, you know, that, that
3: uh,
0: crime, you know, rates crime had was been already like,
2: falling yeah. or that. Yeah. yeah. Rates had that, been
0: dropping for years and years ahead yeah. of the wall, the portion of the wall that's there being constructed. So and he brought
2: that up again in the, yeah. um, in the State of the Union speech, and uh, announced this morning that he's going to be having a campaign rally in El Paso on Monday, um, which you know we can expect him to continue to <laughs> uh, repeat that falsehood about uh, you know the crime rate in El Paso surrounding the wall. What's um, a,
0: what is turnout at a rally for Donald Trump going to look like in El Paso, Texas? I mean, New Mexico is pretty close by, so they can just hop on over, yeah. Border crossers. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, I do, I do think it was. You know, we've talked a lot about how. The, the fact that the State of the State and the State of the Union were happening at the same time, mostly creating a busy news day. And Oprah. And Oprah. But I do think it's interesting that for all the talk from sort of Trump land about this emergency at the border, it was just a couple of lines in Abbott's speech on when he talked to lawmakers before, you know, after they had sort of sent, Nash, what was it, the Texas National Guard down to the border, they had increased the funding for DPS down there, it it sort of barely made a blip this go around. And it was, it was interesting to see sort of the contrast in well, the rhetoric nationally versus absolutely. what even Abbott was saying. And in fact, I think, go ahead. I was
2: going to say, just even more broadly than Abbott's speech, the opening of this session has been marked by very little discussion of immigration policy. Now, we've seen immigration rhetoric. You know, Dan Patrick goes on Fox News and is defending what the president's doing at the federal level. But in terms of legislation or state level policy, Mm The, obviously, there's a limited role there mm-hmm. for that, but to the to the to the point that there could be something done at the state level further. Yeah. Um, there's been so little discussion; it's yeah. been it's been a jarring contrast with the national okay. level.
1: And to Alexa's point, I mean, I think Abbott had a line in his speech somewhat yesterday, to, uh, yesterday to the effect of, "Hey, you know, the federal government hasn't carried through on its promise to help fund, you know, our border. That's why I'm asking for, you know, uh, for for you guys to basically fully fund, um, you know, that program again." And I think it's eight hundred million dollars. And, you know, obviously House Democrats are are quick to say that's completely unnecessary. Why are we doing this? We have, you know, more more guards at the border, um, you know, crime rates, you know, the the whole um, the whole nine yards. So
0: anyway, what what do you think would get better turnout, Trump's rally in El Paso or a potential Beto O'Rourke presidential announcement in El Paso?
2: <laughs> I think the latter Just I, I think it's an, inter- it's, an it's, it's. I think it's an interesting political move to the extent that there is i mean it's a campaign rally. there's clearly political strategy going into the lo- right. the location that this is coming um you know I'm sure it was maybe planned before Better work's open interview, but it's coming when work is clearly in the final stages of deciding on a run, and there's no doubt that this rally is going to elevate. Uh, and grow or work's pro- political profile even Absolutely. more. I might mean, be yeah. shocked if Trump doesn't mention him or something like that. He's already mentioned him at, at you know the Cruz rally that he did in Houston during the re-election campaign, and so uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, this rally is definitely going to make O'Rourke work a bigger figure. It'll be interesting to see how much and which way, we-
0: and make El Paso figure even more Absolutely. in the conversation yeah. around the you know not just the border wall, but the next you know the looming right. government shutdown over the next version of yeah. this. So, um, one thing that I thought was particularly interesting about the State of the Union that we learned sort of toward the end or in the aftermath was that uh former texas governor rick perry was the designated survivor <laughs> uh, the fastest route to the presidency the guy in the room and who wasn't in the room in case the whole thing blew up uh did you at what point did you learn that information was there any like heads up about that earlier
2: i think it was just reported or yeah, released like right by before, the white house right a yeah, few minutes scheduled. before yeah yeah, yeah. um
0: Way to Rick go, Perry. Rick Perry. I'm yeah, sure. Every yeah. now and then there's
2: always some like Rick Perry he at the federal level up. story that kind of bubbles up and it's I know. usually something just like
0: this. Find <laughs> a way to get, bring it all back to Rick Perry. So... All right, well, that's all the time we have this week. Thanks to Harmony Public Schools, the Texas State Technical College, Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas, and South by Southwest EDU, our sponsors this week. And an extra special thanks to Spoon for our theme music. On behalf of Cassie, Alexa, Patrick, and our producers, Michael, Ray, and Bobby, this is Emily. Thanks for listening.